The views and opinions expressed are for general informational purposes only. Consult with your physician or medical health care provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Today, we talk about the importance of nurse practitioners and their bringing health and wellness to our community. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, between 2020 and 2030, there is a projected 52% growth in new employment of nurse practitioners. So the growth of MPs is great. Now joining us is Dr. Tanya Carter, a board-certified family nurse practitioner. Dr. Tanya will discuss the benefits of working with a nurse practitioner. She'll talk about the history of the field of MPs, and she will talk about her home health and wellness practice, NP2GO, Health and Wellness Clinic. All this and more on It's All About Health and Fitness. Welcome to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. This program is brought to you by Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum. Now, here's your host, Vicki Doe and D. Banks-Bright. I'm Dr. Vicki Haywood-Doe, and with me is the one and only Dr. Virginia D. Banks-Bright. So, how are you today? Hello, Dr. Vicki Doe. I am good. How are you doing? I am fine. I am fine. Today is sunny, but it's still, it's, hey, it's getting kind of yes. chilly. Yes. Sunny, but you know, this morning when I walked out, it was 40 sun degrees. So summer has come to a screeching halt in Youngstown, Ohio. It has come to a screeching halt, and guess yeah. what? The the what they say, we about to get ready and prepare because the oh, hawk. I can't. I just the hawk is out there. Yeah. The hawk is coming. It's lurking. The hawk is out there, <laughs> most definitely. Most definitely. Yes, and we are here today. Yes, we are, right? <laughs> we are, definitely. And so today, this is episode 241, and today we talk about the importance of nurses, specifically nurse practitioners, and how they are an essential part of the healthcare team. And I think a lot of times we take them for granted, and most of us, we don't really know specifically all of the critical things that they do as a member of the healthcare team and making sure that we have the best medical care possible. There are, as of 2021, there are over 325,000 nurse practitioners that are licensed in the U.S. There are four times as many nurses in the United States as there are physicians. And the total number of nursing nurse practitioners in the U.S. is only expected to grow. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, between 2020 and 2030, there is a projected 52% growth in new employment of nurse practitioners. The growth of nurse practitioners is great, especially with the current physician shortage. The American Association of Medical Colleges predicts that by 2034, there will be a shortage of between 37,800 
and 124,000 wow, physicians wow. in primary and specialty settings. So it's going down, huh? Yeah, wow. I know. Nurse practitioners will be able to work alongside physicians to ensure patients' health care needs are met. And so today we have joining us Dr. Tanya Carter, a board-certified family nurse practitioner with over 20 years of healthcare experience. She would talk about her home health and wellness um, practice, NP2GO, Health and Wellness Clinic, and how she is bringing health and wellness to the community. Dr. Tanya will also discuss the healthcare benefits of working with nurse practitioners along with our healthcare providers and give tips on how we can best manage and prevent common chronic diseases in our minority communities. I'm looking forward to it because uh, the nurse practitioners in my practice and our practice they are fabulous. Uh, they are just fantastic, and many of them work just like the physicians. So, yeah, I'm anxious to hear what she has to say. And so, folks, make sure make sure you subscribe. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast. It's all about health and fitness. Vicky Doe Fitness on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or on any of the platforms that you listen to your podcast. When you subscribe, you will be notified first. When we post a new show, you will be able to listen, learn, and experience our shows where we bring in other guests and talk about the things that are important to our health and that are important to our community. And as you know, we do not just talk about our physical health, but we talk about things that we can do to preserve our mental health as well. We believe in total well-being, and that is having a holistic approach to healthy living. So make sure you do not miss any of our shows and subscribe today. And last but not least, go on Apple Podcasts, rate and review this show because that is how we grow. That is how people will know about us and it will help increase our listeners. We definitely, we definitely appreciate you. And as always, what do we say, D? We want to thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Well, D, I put there's holiday seasonings coming, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, that too. That too, right? That too. That too. <laughs> Absolutely, that too. Yeah. That's yeah. it. It's going to be a lot of cooking. And even though we cook, we put our foot in stuff at the Doe residence. I always try to make sure that I make it healthy. And when Thanksgiving come, no. I'm not doing 14 dishes. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. No, uh, we will not be doing short order cooking here. No, we won't. No, we won't. (laughs) But people, uh, (laughs) my daughter's already asking and my my mom and brother Bill, oh, are we going to have Thanksgiving at the Doe House this year? (laughs) (laughs) I said, no, we probably bring it down to Natalie, but I'll still be cooking and everything. So, hey, 
What can I say? Well, I always use the excuse. I'm on call. I'm on call. I'm on call. I'm on call. I'm just on call. So it's, I'm sorry. I'm on call. Is that what you do? Okay, I know that. Yeah, I'm on call. Whether I'm on call or not, I'm on call. You on call. Yeah. I'm on call. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah. But, yeah, so we got the holidays coming. To me, and I ask you this, um, I did ask you, uh, I think it was a, a couple of shows ago, and that is, I don't know what it is, but it seems like something happened in the universe, but this year has gone by. I mean, it's it's really flying fast. by. Vicky is flying by. It's unbelievable. I mean, mm-hmm. it was May, and now it's October. I know. Flying by. I know. Right. You're absolutely right. I don't know what it is, whether somebody put some poppies, like in the Wizard of Oz, <laughs> and we fell asleep, and now we woke up, and it's like, but it's just flown by. It is, it's something. It's something. Yeah. Yeah. And so with that said, I said, you know what? I think I'm going to just kind of chill and just take a sabbatical yeah. from all my decorations I again can. this year. Mm-hmm. I, you you put up five trees last year, didn't you? Yes. I had to come out of my three-year hiatus. You know, I was in. Well, in... <laughs> I want to know if Dr. Joe is going to put up this year because he missed it last year. The turkey and the, 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 uh, the pilgrim. Did he have that up or was it the holiday? Was it oh, the yes, turkey? always. Hey, hey, that's what he, that's his contribution to the decoration. <laughs> They'll probably be up this year because that's too funny. Because that's that's what he does. That's his contribution. Mm-hmm. You gotta love him. You that's it. Him. That's it. That's but it. yeah, so I'm just trying to keep up and looking forward to you know trying to close up and finish things. That's my uh, what can I say? That's my confirmation or my um, put it out there in the universe is that yeah. I want to finish things all the projects that i've started i want to mm-hmm. just be focused and finish things mm-hmm. so i want to declutter i'm working on decluttering okay you know i'm working okay. on taking stuff to goodwill stacking up stuff just letting go my motto for this year is let it go let it go let it go that's a good uh, one yeah yeah i've been in this house for 30 years and you know stuff collects and you look around you have a you haven't worn this in 25 years, mm-hmm. and you're stuck in your, your cabinet. You haven't used those dishes in 15 years. Mm. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Oh, wow. That's so that's true. what I'm trying to do. Let it go. Let, Let it, it go. go. Well, Let I was... somebody else enjoy it. You know? Oh, I know, right? Right. Yeah. Yes, yes. So how was your week then? What did you do this week? It was good. I'm trying to think what I did. Oh, we went to the symphony, the Canton Symphony, on Sunday night. That was good. Okay, Um, okay. They played some Beethoven and this other guy named, this other musician, a composer named Elgar. Okay. And that was good. I really like the Canton Symphony. As you know, I'm on the board of trustees now. Okay. And I really like them because, you know, they have a commitment to diversity. I got to come down there then. We got to come. Yeah, you do. Their their strategic plan, which they put out Mm -hmm. last year, says that for every concert, Mm -hmm. there must be some 
manifestations of diversity, equity, and inclusion. By mm-hmm. that, I mean okay. you either have to have a woman composer okay. or a person of, of color composer or a person of color performer okay. or gender, all of that. And that's in their strategic plan. And you know what? Even before I got on the board, and that's what attracted me to them. Okay. They have made a concerted effort to make it happen because, you know, so many times people are like, well, you know, we can't find anybody. Well, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, they've gone out and made a concerted effort to bring in persons of color, composers and musicians who are coming into Canton to play with the symphony. So I say kudos and bravo to them. And I would say some other symphonies that are not going to be named would do well to emulate their model. Because sometimes as in organizations like I'm in, when you talk about diversity, inclusion, equity, and inclusion, you can't stand around and wait for it to happen. You have to make, make it, it happen. happen. Yes. Yes, that's yeah. exactly it. So if you don't have, like when I was doing stuff when I was with Al, if you don't have persons of color faculty, you have to go out and find them. Yes, you do. they do exist. You know what I'm saying? And I'm yes, sure they do. Kent, Kent has been involved with that for many, 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 many years. Yes. You have to make a concerted effort to go out and find people. You can't just wait for it to jiffy pop up, right? No, but we're not hiding. And you don't see, like in academia, you don't see women, chairs of department, Mm -hmm. or persons of color, chairs of academic department. Mm -hmm. And so you have to make a concern. And it's not affirmative action because people just as qualified as anybody else. Mm -hmm. But you have to go out and make it happen. Make it happen. And that's how I got to that Canton Symphony thing. You have to go out and make it happen. So then you have to come down. I'll let you know the next time they okay, have definitely. a great symphony and performer. And they don't, they don't, there are two hours and you're out the door. So it's not like keeping you there all night. So yeah, that's what I did last weekend. That's it. But and yeah. Then, and then mm-hmm. in addition to seeing your honey sweet, we mm-hmm. had a couple of more, a hundred patients together. I know. Right. I know. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah the, the, I, I like how that they're embracing diversity, and like I always say, no, I was joking and said, yeah, we hide it. No, we're not. We're doing. We're doing what we do. It's just right. that a lot of times the opportunity hasn't been presented, right? That's right. So right. yeah, so you have to go look. You have to go look. You do. Yes. You do. So what is going on this week, D? Everything. Everything. <laughs> Everything, Everything. yes. And you know, October October is National Breast Cancer Awareness. Made my appointment for my mammogram this morning. That's it. I always do it. I always do it in October, too. That's what I do, too. Yeah. Me, too. Yeah. So October is a time. It's a time um, to raise awareness about breast cancer. And let's make sure that all of us, and most especially those that are out there, uh, healthcare professionals, uh, health fitness professionals, social workers, any of those allied health folks and folks that are in the community. Make sure you spread the word. Get involved by sharing the easy to understand. If you go to myhealthfinderresources.gov uh, to encourage people to get tested for breast cancer and talk with the doctor about mammograms. And yes, we know that there are genetic risk factors such as age, gender, uh, dense breast tissues, along with lifestyle risk factors such as lack of physical activity, poor diet, 
and being overweight or obese. However, according to the American Cancer Society, 60 to 70% of people with breast cancer, people with breast cancer, have no connection to these risk factors at all. And other people with risk factors will never develop cancer. So at the end of the day, Early detection is the key. So according to the American Cancer Society, when breast cancer is detected early and is in the localized stage, the five-year relative survival rate is 99%. Early detection includes doing monthly breast self-exams and scheduling regular clinical breast exams and mammograms. So make an appointment today with your healthcare provider and go get your mammogram. For more information and for helpful resources and toolkits, go to www.nationalbreastcancer.org. So what do you say to that, Dee? Oh, you know, it's, it's great. And we know that now breast cancer is at least in one of eight women in this country. Most recently, Katie Couric came out mm-hmm. and announced that she's a breast cancer patient. Mm-hmm. And you know what she did for colon cancer when her husband mm-hmm. passed over 25 or so years ago. Um, she was the first one, I think, that came on television as a celebrity and let us watch her get a colonoscopy. And sometimes it takes a celebrity mm-hmm. to get out there and make people aware of getting your mammograms because she was six months late, Vicki. Oh, my goodness. She was six months late getting her mammogram, and she said she knew better because her she has a cancer history in her family. Her sister died of pancreatic cancer. Ooh, so she okay. was just saying, you know, how things slip through the cracks, you get busy and so mm-hmm. forth, and you better take care of yourself. So... Katie Clark has now come up. And remember, we had last year Dr. Nancy Gant. That's what I was going to say. Yes, on, yes. Who came on. Mm-hmm. She had breast cancer. Mm-hmm. She's a breast cancer surgeon, and she had breast cancer and came on and talked to us about breast cancer. And as we know, mm-hmm. uh, there are certainly health care disparities when it comes to women and cancers and breast cancer and so forth. So, yeah, this is a great month. Yes, it uh, is. For awareness. Yes, it is. And if you want to listen to the show with Dr. Nancy Gant was was outstanding because she was talking about all the new treatments and just all kinds yeah. of stuff that they're yes, that yeah. they're doing yeah. here in this area in Northeast Ohio, right. in this area. And the, Joni, and the Joni Abdu Center. Yes. That episode will be I, I wrote it down. I think it's two hundred and twenty five. So go check mm-hmm. it out and go listen, folks, because, yes. That definitely goes with what we're talking about in October, National Breast Cancer Awareness. So, yeah, there we go. Well, our yeah. next on the top, the, the, I kept hearing about it. <laughs> the, uh, what is it? The SpaceX, you know. Yeah, I, was in a, I must have been under a rock today. Well, I kind of was because I was so busy. I missed this. What yes. Happened? Well, they were, they were going step by step. You could hear it on TV, look at it. All of that. They were talking about SpaceX and them um, launching today. They did their launch. They were taken off, and then they're in orbit. And so the the big deal was that the SpaceX they launched to the space station, and they had with their crew, uh, Russian and Russian astronaut among the crew of four. 
And so it's an, it had some write-ups, and this write-up is a little piece about it in the, what is it, the New York Times. It says, despite, uh-huh. despite the Russian invasion of Ukraine, NASA and Roscosmos, Roscosmos, uh-huh. Roscosmos. That's, yes, uh-huh. have managed to continue co- cooperating on flights to and from the International Space Station. And so today's SpaceX rocket carrying four astronauts to the International Great. Space Station. They launched today, and the rocket lifted off from NASA's Kennedy um, Space Center in Florida just after noon on Wednesday, and it is to arrive at the space station shortly before 5 p.m. on Thursday. And one of the oh, passengers, wow. yeah, of the mission, Crew 5, is a Russian astronaut, and um, she's a woman, Anna, uh, I think it's Kakina. Um, her present uh-huh. on the spacecraft shows that cooperation is continuing between the United States and Russia on the International um, Space Station in the face of Russia's, you know, the invasion of Ukraine. And the other crew, um, crew members on the flight, Nicole Mann and Josh Cassada of NASA and uh-huh. what, Kiyochi Wakada of JADAX, J-A-X-A, that's a Japanese space agency. I know I'm probably um, crucifying the name, but anyhow, um, the four will spend half a year in orbit on the space station. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting. That's great. Yeah. Very, very interesting. I don't know, though. I, I don't know if I could do that space thing. I couldn't do it. Oh, no, I'm too, I'm not claustrophobic, but I just couldn't be up there being bored like that all that time. Oh, no, 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 no. No, and just, uh, no. Uh-huh. Oh, I would be anxious. I just couldn't take it. I wouldn't. I couldn't either. I'd be screaming, <laughs> get me out of here. Uh-uh. uh-uh, no. That's it. I wouldn't be a good astronaut. I wouldn't be a good cosmonaut or astronaut or whatever. That's just not my thing. That's not it. I know, right? No. But hey, no, no, it's no. good. It's good that we are progressing, you know, and and doing those type of things in spite of yeah. all the all the setbacks that we've had with the pandemic and all that. So yes, yeah, exactly. So that's good. Exactly. Well, mm-hmm. well, D. You know, we couldn't wait. You got a surprise for us. So what's the latest? I do. <laughs> this is hot off the press. So. Okay. You know how I drink coffee and all of this, but you've always been a dedicated tea drinker. When we went yes. to England, mm. you brought the tea. Oh, my tea. God. This is an article mm-hmm. that came out uh, this month, okay. September 2022. American, okay. I mean, the Annals of Internal Medicine, which is a very reputable yeah. journal, one of our journals. Okay. And it was tea consumption and all-cause and cause-specific mortality in the U.K. biobank okay. in England. Okay, okay. So the background is tea is frequent. I won't talk about the whole article, but I'll give you the participants' measurements, results, limitations, conclusions, etc. Okay. So tea is frequently consumed worldwide, but the association of tea drinking with mortality risk remains inconclusive in populations where black tea is the main type consumed. Mm. To evaluate the associations of tea consumption with all-cause and cause-specific mortality and potential effect modification by genetic variation in caffeine metabolism. Mm. The design was a prospective cohort study. Setting was the UK Biobank, 
They have 498,000 men and women from the ages of 40 to 69 who completed the baseline touchscreen questionnaire from 2006 to 2010. Self-reported tea intake and mortality from all causes and leading causes of death, including cancer, all cardiovascular disease, ischemic heart disease, stroke, and respiratory disease. During a medium follow-up of 11.2 years, higher tea intake was modestly associated with lower mm. all-cause mortality risk among those who drank two or more cups a day, Vicki. Uh-oh, uh-oh, I'm in there, I'm in there. <laughs> Relative to no tea drinking, the hazard ratio uh-huh. for participants drinking one or fewer, mm-hmm. two to three, four to five, six to seven, eight to nine, and ten or more cups were, then they give all those different haz- hazard rates. Okay. Bottom line, uh-huh. the limitation was potentially important aspects of tea intake, for example, portion size and tea strength were not assessed. Okay. But the conclusion, mm-hmm. higher tea intake was associated with lower mortality risk among those drinking two or more cups per day, regardless of genetic variation in caffeine metabolism. Mm. These findings suggest that tea, even at higher levels of intake, can be part of a healthy diet. And this was from the National Cancer Institute Intramural Research Program. So not a lot of bias included mm-hmm. in the people that did the study. Mm-hmm. I thought you might like that. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That is why I always encourage people, because I, I was a great coffee drinker, but I had to switch over yeah. because I got too anxious with coffee. I don't know what uh-huh. I was. But uh-huh. I switched over to tea, and I remember the day... Because I, I did drink tea a little bit, but I um, switched over and just loved it. It was right before the month before I was scheduled to do my dissertation, my defending, defending my stuff. And that was in uh-huh. 2009. Uh-huh. I, def- I uh, wow. defend my thing, what, November the 4th or something like that, 2009. Uh-huh. And like a month before, I cut cold turkey with coffee. Start drinking tea, and I've been wow. tea up ever since then. Isn't yeah. that something? Well, it's obviously a benefit. Yes, it's but a like benefit. I said, there were not a lot of, of biases in that research, mm-hmm. so I, I thought that was, and it was a lead lead article in the Annals of Internal Medicine Journal. Like I said, not too sloppy. That's it. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you, D. We got to drink welcome. more tea. Thank you, D. Drink more Drink tea. Me too. Me too. <laughs> That's it. Me too. All right, then. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Vicki Haywood Doe. I just wanted to break in for a quick second and introduce to you the sponsor and creator of this show. It's the company I own, Haywood Doe Consulting Co., doing business as Vicki Doe Fitness. We are a health and wellness consulting company that specializes in designing and implementing medically integrated applied exercise physiology-based fitness wellness programs, initiatives, events, health promotion, and health education for special populations such as older folks, children, adolescents, overweight and obese individuals, cardiac rehab, women's health, and those who have 
chronic diseases. We have a team and network of healthcare professionals based out of Northeast Ohio, and we've worked with many companies, schools, churches, and organizations. If your goal is to transform your life by taking a holistic approach to living a life of health and total well-being, get in touch with us at info at To find out more about our own site and online programs and services, go to vikidofitness.com. And now back to the show. Today, we talk about the importance of nurse practitioners and the healthcare team. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, between 2020 and 2030, there is a projected 52% growth in new employment of nurse practitioners. The growth of nurse practitioners is great, especially with the current physician shortage. The American Association of Medical Colleges predicts that by 2034, there will be a shortage of between 37,800 and 124, yeah, 124,000 physicians in primary and specialty settings. And so joining us is Dr. Tanya Carter. She's a board certified family nurse practitioner with over 20 years of healthcare experience. She would talk about her home health and wellness practice, NP2GO, health and wellness clinic, and give tips on how we can best manage and prevent common chronic disease in our minority communities. So let's listen to our interview with Dr. Tanya Carter. Well, here with us today is Tanya Carter. She is a board-certified family nurse practitioner with over 20 years of healthcare experience. She earned her Doctor of Nursing practice from the University of Alabama, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and she earned her Master's of Science in Nursing from Audubon University in Westerville, Ohio. Tanya has provided primary um, healthcare to Central Ohio residents for more than 12 years. Working in larger healthcare networks, Tanya recognized that the days of lasting provider-patient relationships were fading, and thus the idea of opening a nurse practitioner-owned and operated home health and wellness business, NP2GO Health and Wellness Clinic. Tanya is with us today. She will discuss the um, healthcare benefits of working with nurse practitioners along with our um, healthcare providers and, and give tips on how we can be, you know, we can best manage and prevent mm-hmm. common chronic diseases in our minority communities. So how are you today, Tanya? I'm great. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. And I thank you guys for allowing me to come and talk to your audience. Well, we're happy that oh, you're here, right, Dee? Have, yes, absolutely. We're happy to have you. Yes. And so when, when, there's, when there's a DNP, do we say Dr. Tanya? Yes, you can. You can say <laughs> Dr. Tanya. I tell, you know, my patients, I tell them, I think of them as family. So some call me Tanya, some call me Nurse Carter, some call me Dr. Oh. Carter. So oh. it is. I say whatever they're feeling like they're comfortable because I want them to be comfortable when they're talking to me and I don't want there to be any barriers based upon titles. All right. 
Well, for this show, we will say Dr. Tanya. How's that? Okay. Okay. (laughs) That is fine. So tell us your story and why you became a nurse practitioner. Well, I think my... uh... My story, I always think of it as a simple one, but then when I look back on my journey, you know, it doesn't, it wasn't so simple. So I was born and raised here in Columbus, Ohio, you know, very humble roots. And I always say that, you know, I didn't ever know that, you know, my roots were so humble, you know, until like someone told me, oh, you don't have this. But, you know, just growing up in that, that background, like you just kind of realize, you know, we were definitely Medicaid recipients. We went to, um, you know, welfare clinics and just, you know, I remember the days of like sitting in the doctor's office for eight hours in a day. And like when you get in the, um, and I, I can like, there's a visual in my head right now. And like, I remember the chairs being set up and like, you always saw someone different and it was like almost their hand was on the door by the time when they opened the door and like they were right back out the door in a few minutes. Fast forward to when I, I went to school, started out at, you know, OSU and, you know, I became a, um, what some people call a statistic. So I became a single mom and very early on it was, I was making $6.60 an hour. And I remember that because I was like, I don't know how I'm going to take care of a, um, a baby. But, you know, thank God with like support of my family and friends, I was able to, I decided I got to do something. You know, I was working at Nationwide Insurance, not a bad job, mm-hmm. but, you know, I was 20 years old and here I was, I was, you know, pregnant. I had this child and I was like, you know, I got to do something with my life. So I, I went back to school um, for nursing, which, you know, to me, I thought this would be a way for me to take care of my son. I could, you know, be able to be financially independent, you know, but I still kind of ran into those barriers. You know, I think people put labels on people and um, encountering the healthcare system, Mm felt like there was, you know, there was something there, you know, whether or not, you know, it was because we were a minority, because I was, you know, a young mom. It just, you know, the healthcare system was a little bit disappointing. And as I was working in the nursing profession, one, I wanted to have a little bit more, um, I wanted to be able to have more input on how my, you know, patients were cared for. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing about it is that, you know, having that nursing pro- background, you see things a little bit different. You see the patient as a whole patient. So ended up, you know, worked my whole way through nursing school full time with this um, little one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always say he went to school with me because, mm-hmm. he, um, <laughs> you know, every step of the way, I think he was at every graduation that I was at. Mm-hmm. But just knew that I wanted to um, have more input. And I think that sometimes, you know, God leads you in different directions. So nurse practitioner came up and, you know, nurse practitioner is not a very old profession. So like I didn't see many role models, Mm -hmm. you know, in front of me, but it was, you know, I had very great mentors that were physicians and, you know, probably the physician route. um, I I think I could have made it in that school, but that just wasn't me because that wasn't the way I practiced. You know, I, you know, all through my nursing career, it was more of a holistic way of seeing patients. Okay. So 
went through the program, went through, um, you know, I've gone to, you know, when I was at Otterbein, mm-hmm. that's where I achieved my master's of, and I became a nurse practitioner, but knew that I wanted to have that terminal degree. Um, so I did go back to get my doctorate degree just because I wanted to be able to, you know, um, write policy. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be effective at the table, you know, even though, you know, I'm not into titles, some others are. Mm-hmm. So I was like, it's best that I have this, this terminal degree and have this doctorate degree. So that was my journey. That's how I ended up here to this day. And I'm thankful that I did it. Yes, and we're thankful, too, because Dee will definitely say, as a physician, seeing more of us in the healthcare um, representing mm-hmm. is great. Right, Dee? <laughs> Um, Tanya, I have a question, Dr. Tanya. Um, uh-huh. How within your profession amongst your colleagues? You know, um, we all have our own, in our own individual, um, you know, group. Did you find um, that the pathway to becoming, to getting your DMP was difficult? Was there, were there barriers? Were there pushbacks? Uh, what, what, what did you meet on your way up that ladder? Oh, definitely. You know, one of the barriers is, um, and I don't think, you know, even colleges think about this, but everything is geared toward the traditional student. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, somebody with a family already, and like you're in school, like classes were during the day. So it meant that, you know, okay, if I wanted to go to school, I had to work at night, which created a childcare barrier for me. So there were all of like these these things that were in play, you know, also Mm -hmm. nursing is a, it's a predominantly white female profession as a, um, as a black nurse, like sometimes, you know, you're not given the opportunity, not because you don't know it, but you're just not given the opportunity to succeed. You're not given the, sometimes the tools. I am thankful. I was able to find great mentors, physicians that were mentors, you know, other nurses that were um, mentors. But uh-huh. it wasn't always easy to find them. I did have to, like, seek them out. Some people, you know, they might have thought I was stalking them. <laughs> but I was like, okay, <laughs> I am going to cling on to you and, like, just teach me. Teach, because I was hungry for that knowledge. Wow, that's nice. That's nice. All of us, I don't care, because I tell my two girls, too, I don't care what profession that you're in. Um, if you want to mm-hmm. go up to the top. You know, you're going to have some type of barriers that you have to walk through. And so that's why it's important. And that's why I wanted to bring you on the show, because I saw you (laughs) at the Kwanzaa, right? And we were talking about about health and wellness. And you stepped up tall (laughs) and regal and all that to the mic. And I said, well, who is this sister here? I got to have her. <laughs> I got to have her come on the show because it's all about, like D always say, what do you say about the messenger, D? I can't remember what you say. You say something about. Trusted messenger. Yeah, trusted messenger. Yeah, we oh. always want trusted messenger. Yes, we always. Definitely. Mm-hmm, we always need a trusted messenger. Yes, yes. It's so to see us you know, representing um, D, my husband, and all the other folks that are representing, um, it's, it's very great to see that. And so many people, though, you know, we talk about nurse practitioners, and you did say it was, it's kind of new in the, the mm-hmm. career 
So, you know, how long has it been around uh, the profession of being a nurse practitioner and what services, what, what makes them, you know, what do they do that's different from a regular nurse and all of that? Can they prescribe medicine? I know in some states they can and cannot. I mean, so could you tell us some of those things? Sure. So just a little bit of background about uh, nurse practitioners. So the profession has been around, um, top, I believe the first nurse practitioner was 1965 when we have it documented. And it was born out of there was a need for um, people to take care of, like, indigent um, communities, people to take care of, you know, Medicaid population, people who didn't have many resources. So in this area, there was a shortage of physicians. So it was the nurses, you know, the nurse was already here at the bedside, but there was a doctor who was like, you know, I can train this nurse, you know, to take care of some acute, some, you know, you know, non-complicated um, diseases in this population. Because this was a population that had been left behind and mm. there needed to be somebody who who took care of them. So out of that, the nursing profession, the nurse practitioner profession was born. So, you know, right now, I think in 1980, there was only 15,000 nurse practitioners. And mm-hmm. now there is about 285,000 last time I looked. Mm-hmm. So, so many? 285,000. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. It's kind of where we are. You know, nurse practitioners are, you know, all of us are registered nurses with advanced degrees. And when I say advanced degrees, you know, um, the entryway into becoming a nurse practitioner is with your master's degree. But you will see many because, you know, the ties are changing. It's going to require a doctorate degree as an entry level into the nurse practitioner profession. But nurse practitioners can do, are you going to find them in every specialty, like where you, where you may go. And nurse practitioners, we collaborate with, you know, our physician peers. Um, and, you know, we can prescribe, we can treat, we can diagnose, we can evaluate. And not only will you see us in primary care, um, you know, I've worked at, you know, larger institutions such as OSU, and you found us in specialties such as critical care. So sometimes you might see a nurse practitioner putting in a chest tube. You may see um, a nurse practitioner in, you know, the GI uh, department, or you may see them, you know, working in women's health. So our, the nurse, the profession has definitely expanded. You know, like I say, we, in most states, we, I will say all states, we collaborate with our physician peers. Some states, we are able, the law will allow us to practice independently, but even those states, I know nurse practitioners, we still collaborate. Because that's the name of the game in healthcare right now, is we want to be interdisciplinary. So it's not just the physician, it's not just the nurse practitioner, but it's social workers, it's mm-hmm. pharmacists, all of us working together on doing what is best for the patient and like bringing the best part of what we do to the patient. And for nurse practitioners in particular, when someone say, you know, how is it, um, how's it different than a physician? How's it different than a, a you know, a regular, uh, or not, I won't say regular, but just as a registered nurse. So we do have that extra education. So we, we are able to diagnose and treat and, you know, with medications we can prescribe. 
So we can do that. So that's uh, a thing that a registered nurse cannot do. And the thing is, and I keep saying we collaborate with our um, physician partners because I have worked right along with, like, my physician partners. Uh, and it's a, I will say, we as nurses try and look at the patient more holistically and look at the total part of it. Like we bring some of that nursing to the table. Sometimes our visits are a little bit longer because we do want to, we want to get to know the patient. We want to know, well, I can't treat your diabetes if I don't know that, you know, you're hungry when you go home. So mm-hmm. maybe potatoes is the only thing you can eat. So mm-hmm. what? You know, how can I treat you based upon knowing the whole part of you? Yes, okay. We we love nurse practitioners. I'm in a group, and we have, there's eight, well, now we're down to six physicians in an infectious disease practice, and we have six nurse practitioners. And, you know, you guys are fantastic. I mean, in our practice, our nurse practitioners, some of them have to have, have stuff co-signed, like notes, and mm-hmm. one or two of them, do not have to have, like, they can see my patients on the weekend in a long-term uh-huh. care facility, and they have their own number. But one thing I wanted to clarify for the audience, and maybe you missed it, I, I mentioned it, maybe I missed it, the difference between a nurse practitioner and a physician assistant. Did you mention that? So No, I didn't, and that's a, that's a good call-out. So a nurse practitioner and a physician assistant. So physician assistants are, are trained uh a little different. They're trained more under the medical model. Most physician assistants do have to work under the license of a physician where nurse practitioners are able to work in um, under our own license. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're trained still under that nursing model. We do have the medical model in there too, but it's still the nursing piece in there also. Oh, yeah, that's important. I'm glad you thought about that, Dee, because a lot of folks ask, what's the difference between a, a physician assistant and a nurse practitioner? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would have to say a lot of people, patients, don't understand. For example, I go and get some of my care at the Cleveland Clinic um, for my back, and I've really never seen a doctor, and I love my nurse practitioner. Oh, that is great to hear. <laughs> I don't know what would happen if the doctor came in because I don't really feel feel that the doctor would give me the kind of time and care. And this is speaking Mm -hmm. from a that I get from my nurse practitioner. In fact, I'd probably fall out crying if the doctor came in. (laughs) (laughs) So I just want to give you all really truly a, a shout out. And I come from, I've been in medicine now for 47 years. And I have oh, seen wow. nurse practitioner, the field of nurse practitioners evolve over mm-hmm. the years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. And to the very good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's great. So then come on then. That's, tell us, tell us, tell us more about your, your what is it, NP2GO Health and Wellness Clinic. Tell us about that. Yeah. We are a um, primary care clinic. And I, I say... Sometimes I say, oh, gosh, like, once again, I'm in this uncharted territory because in Ohio, Ohio is actually a very restricted state uh, to practice for nurse practitioners. But, like, you know, we have learned how to, you know, still work within that model. And so there's not a lot of nurse practitioner-owned clinics in Ohio. Like, we see it more in the West Coast. We see it even on the East Coast because a lot of those states have what we call independent practice. But, you know, it's new to the Midwest. But I have, 
you know, I've worked over 20 years in healthcare, and I have worked inpatient, I've worked outpatient, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, things have just, have changed, you know, some of it is just based upon, you know, insurance and, you know, reimbursement. It still, it felt like, you know, the days of truly being able to, like, truly just focus on the patient were were fading. So when I had the opportunity, you know, I had I had decided at one point I was in administration and I said, well, what is it that I love? Like, what is it that feeds my soul? And like, what feeds my soul is like caring for patients. And and truly, I love it. Like, it's something I would do for free if I, I had to. But it's being able to like change somebody's life in just like, you know, a few visits. You get to you get to know patients. I think a primary care is kind of being that gatekeeper and, you know, and then we, you know, kind of work with the patients on let's keep you healthy. If we need a specialty, let's pull that specialty in. Sometimes I might have to translate what a, a member like or a patient might have seen a a specialist and, you know, they, they'll sit through the whole visit with the specialist and then they'll come back to me and they'll say, okay, well, I really didn't understand what they said. You know, just kind of, yeah. you know, break, break this down for me. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I love is like, I love being there for those patients, not even just prescribing medicine, but teaching patients, what can we do to like be healthier? You know, I have a, a patient that I just seen over the weekend and I'm, I'm, I'm precepting a student with me right now. But I could hear through the door, and it almost made me cry. But this, you don't realize, like, the changes, like, that you make in a person's life. And he was telling the student about, um, he was like, oh, she found my cancer. And mm. it, was, it was only because, like, he came in, I know this patient. And I was like, you look very pale. Like, there's, you know, mm-hmm. and we have this, and, but I knew him enough that I could say, you know, what's going on with you? You know, he was just coming in for a regular visit and mm. it was then just getting to talk to him that, you know, he, he did like he, you know, I sent him over for some tests. This was a Tuesday and he was in surgery by Thursday, but it oh, wow. was just because I, I knew this patient and mm. like, that's what I like to be able to, that's what brings me joy is like being able to know somebody that they feel as if they have an ally in healthcare it shouldn't feel like, you know, everybody's strangers, everybody's just kind of talking above you. You don't know what the words mean. So that's why I got in it. That's how empty to go was born, because I wanted to be able to to truly, like, care for my patients kind of without the, you know, restriction of what, you know, sometimes, you know, healthcare in a larger institution may go to. Mm-hmm. That's how it was born. And I put the go part on there because I want to have the opportunity of patients can't come to me. I can come to them. Okay. With that said, then, there's definitely benefits for um, Mm -hmm. working with a nurse practitioner. Let's Mm -hmm. move on to the pandemic. It -hmm. brought out a lot of health disparities in this community. And since you, you know, are having more of a personal relationship, you're one-on-one with your patients, I'm sure you saw a lot of things and you were able to, you know, I would say, Um, send them to some of the resources. And so can you tell us some about that and how you help your patients to deal with some of these um, barriers uh, and and things that happen because of the pandemic? So I think 
think about, you know, a lot of, there was so much misinformation with the pandemic and when it first came out. And I had, um, you know, I remember initially when COVID was like first being realized is that there was someone who said, well, they they weren't going to wear masks or they weren't going to like do something because like they had this information that black folks don't get COVID. And, you know, so a lot of it was education. And then, you know, as the as COVID sort of, you know, just really exploded and we saw that, you know, unfortunately it was affecting people who look like me, who look like my, my family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was, it was a big load to me. Like I felt like, you know, I got to make sure we're like, we're, we're watching our symptoms or we're, we're paying attention to our bodies. We're not, you know, letting things, you know, chalking things off to a cold or anything, you know, and sometimes initially like people weren't able to get tests. And a lot of times I had to advocate for a patient. You know, they've gone to urgent care. They've gone to the ER. And, you know, they felt as if, you know, they were sent home and, like, they weren't able to get tests. So it was advocating for them, you know, almost telling patients, sometimes we can't say no. You know your body. Even knowing if, you know, this is not the typical cough that I've had. This is, you know, maybe something else. And, you know, even when it came to, you know, getting the antibodies for it, you know, there were strict criteria. So just kind of educating patients. And this is this is what's available for you. If someone is telling you no, you know, you come back to me and, like, let's talk about this. Let's talk about, like, you, maybe you should not have been turned away. Like, you, you were a candidate for this. You have diabetes. You have hypertension. You may have obesity. You have some type of chronic illness. Mm-hmm. So it, a lot of it was, you know, educating patients. To, you know, a lot of it is teaching people how to be their own advocate mm-hmm. um, and to know when something is just not right. I know, you know, healthcare people that are in the healthcare system that, you know, you would think the treatment, they wouldn't have got the treatment because some of them are physicians, and you, but somebody doubted what they were saying. They doubted what they were telling them and, you know, kind of minimizing their symptoms. So a lot of that, you know, came out in in COVID. Mm -hmm. A lot of it came out with just, you know, we just, it seems like we went to telehealth overnight. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A lot of people didn't have access. They, uh, maybe they didn't have a computer or they didn't have a smartphone that they could do a virtual visit with. So a lot of these people just, you know, went without health care for a while. It was a matter of, like, identifying, like, once again, knowing your your patients and maybe getting on the phone and saying, hey, how are you doing? You know, I haven't seen you in a while. Do you have blood pressure medication? Do you, um, do you have your diabetes medication? You know, mm-hmm. what are some things we can do for you at home and that we can, you know, make sure that you're healthy during this pandemic? Well, yeah, I mean, it it does sound like ultimately at the end of the day, you were empowering your patient Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and being an advocate, but also empowering them to take care of themselves and for them, like you said, to be their own advocates because, you know, I was talking to some family members the other day and they came out, um, one of their loved ones, and I said, well, you know, is so-and-so going to happen to your loved one today? Because I was following the chart, and they said, well, you know, um, I don't know. The doctor said that he was going to get back to me, and I haven't heard anything for a couple of days. And I said, well, did you reach out and have the nurse? Right. So many times that 
And, you know, I kind of glibly said, and I, I, I catch myself saying this, Tanya. I said, well, we, us, doctors, don't have any trouble sending you a bill. So, you know, I don't think that you should feel uh, badly about reaching out. We're all available. We should be available. If we don't get back to you within the hour, we should be able to get back with you to you within at least 24 hours. So I find there's still this hesitancy to make doctors mad. Do you find that too? I do. I find that, um, and it's interesting that you say that because I, when I was training one of the, um, I trained with one doctor and he told me, he said, well, a patient will talk to you before they talk to me because they think that they're disturbing yep. a, a doctor. And yep. I, I even tell patients too, is that you know, don't apologize. Like, if you have a question, like you have a second question. Like, this is this is what I'm doing. This is what I do. This is I will yeah. prefer you ask me the question. Then you try and go on the internet, or you know, I have a lot of younger patients, and I'll ask them, "Well, where did you get that information from?" They'll say TikTok, and I, and I'm like, "No, I would I would rather you ask me than go to TikTok." <laughs> Oh, wow. So now there's TikTok MD. <laughs> yeah. Funny. That's something. But yeah, so we appreciate you coming. And so we want to end this by at least you giving two things in your summary. First of all, at least give from your perspective what the benefit of working with nurse practice, you've told us a lot of stuff, working with you as a nurse practitioner, how it does benefit people and their health, their health outcome. And then mm -hmm. give us at least two, we'll go down to two lifestyle habits that you would tell your patients, you would tell our audience that we need to start doing today to help reduce our risk of getting chronic diseases such as um, type 2 diabetes and heart disease and all of that, most especially since it does affect our um, community the most, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. So I would say the benefit of working with a nurse practitioner is just that time that they're going to spend with you. You know, the education is there. We have the education, and we want to be able to spend that time with you and listen to you so we know when we how to appropriately treat you. So I, I, if anything, I would say is you're going to get an ally in healthcare. So you're going to have that liaison that that you will need in your healthcare. One of the things that I tell people is that you know my my favorite saying is your health is your wealth. Mm -hmm. And there's so many things that we can do to make ourselves you know healthy. And some of just the simple things is, you know, when I think about chronic illnesses, so many of them can be prevented with, you know, just activity. I tell people, okay, I may say exercise, but I'm really just talking about moving. Just, just mm -hmm. move. So if you can, you know, if it means that I'm not telling you to rush out and buy a gym membership and stay at the gym for hours at a time, but what I am telling you is that move. 
So if it means that you have to park a little bit further at the grocery store so you can get a little bit of exercise in there, I would have you do that. If it means that, you know, you have to, I, I always joke, my mom would say, can you go get me a glass of water? Um, but, <laughs> and she would be right there in the kitchen. <laughs> but, you know, if it means that you get up and do something, stay active and stay, you know, move, you know, diabetes, like you can reduce like your, your numbers by 5% with just like a little, you know, weight loss. So we, we can't get that sometimes with medication. So if you can just, you know, just stay active, you know, try in 30 minutes to an hour, but just make sure that you're doing something. Just try and move. I tell people you don't have to do it all at once. Maybe you can do 15 minutes in the morning, you know, 15 minutes at lunch and then 15 minutes a little bit later. But just it's, it's movement is one of the things that I would say. One of the important things I tell people to do is just know your, know your body. Mm-hmm. Um, so many times people have put off things because they're like, oh, that, you know, Somebody else might dismiss it or, you know, you may dismiss it. But just get plugged in with a provider, um, somebody who knows you that you can come to, somebody who you don't feel like you are, um, you know, interrupting them or causing them headaches because you're asking them a certain question. Because you want, you don't want your first introduction to the healthcare system to be in the hospital. You want somebody that, you know, you consider to be, you know, someone you can trust who's going to talk to you. So those were the two things I would tell you to do. Mm -hmm. Get connected with a primary care provider. The ER is not primary care. Um, So Mm -hmm. that's, you should not be, you know, when you get a cold or something going to the ER, Um, you should have a primary care provider you go to and just get active. Just start moving. Just move. I say exercise is movement. That's it. You know, you said you did all the everything that you have said. Absolutely. Just those little things. And I think as Vicki and I say on our show, it's just a little, you know, um, doing things that will get not having long term unattainable and unsustainable kinds of things. Those little things, things that are important. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. It's the little things that are important. And so, Dr. Tanya, how can folks contact you and, and find out information, more information about your NP2GO Health and Wellness Clinic? Sure. So patients can schedule online with me. You can schedule yourself. You don't have to wait to call. You can go to NP2GO Health Wellness at, I'm sorry, I can't, dot uh, com is where you will go and you can schedule an appointment right online. You can choose your appointment time. If um, you don't want to go online, you can always give us a call at 614-739-8166. Benefit about us is we don't do the banker's hours either. So we have uh, evening hours and we're even open on Saturday too mm. to, um, to see people. So there's no excuse. Like you can um, schedule online. You can call us. Um, we are located at 25 Hidden Ravine Drive in Powell, Ohio, and that's just North Columbus. All right. And so thank you so much for joining thank us, Dr. You. Tanya. Oh, well, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. And thank you. Now, this ends our show, D. So do you have some tips that we should think about? Yeah, it was really great to hear Dr. Tanya Carter speak today. You know, 
as I have often said, nurse practitioners play a, play a huge role in our practice. I think it was really good to hear her sort of break down the difference between seeing a nurse practitioner and seeing a physician. You know, she emphasizes that she looks at patients more holistically sometimes than many of us do and really tries to establish that rapport that mm-hmm. oftentimes physicians don't have time to do. And so I laud her, her group that she is, her NP2GO mm-hmm. Health and Wellness Clinic. So bravo to her. It was a great interview. Yes, I enjoyed it. And like I said, it's nice, you know, when I happened to meet her last year at the Columbus Kwanzaa. She was doing a, a health and wellness. We were on the, the segment together. And I, I just get, you know, because, you know, I'm kind of older. You know, I try to be all cute and everything <laughs> still. I be cute and everything. <laughs> but I love to see, I love to see other folks out there representing and doing all the things that we have been doing. Vicky Doe Fitness been doing for years, doing that community outreach, you know, talking yeah. and, and getting people to know, you know, the importance of their health. And then she's there. She's there to really break it down. And she was really breaking it down for folks to, to really understand and appreciate her. So, We appreciate her and we want to make sure, folks, that you look her up, get in touch with her. If you're in the area of Columbus, Ohio, make sure you reach out to her. And bravo, like you said, to nurse practitioners. I know my honey sweet man as a kidney specialist, hey, I'm sure they're like you. They love their nurse practitioners, you know, and all yes, the help. We do. We absolutely do love ours. They are wonderful, wonderful. Yes, and there's benefits. There's benefits, like you said, of, of for patients to, you know, really interact and do things with the nurse practitioner because... Oh, most definitely. Yeah, they're yes, able to yes. be there to ask or answer any questions that are asked right (laughs) absolutely yes all right to find out more about dr tanya carter a nurse practitioner and her practice np2go health and wellness clinic go to np2go health wellness clinic.com or call 614-739-8166 and as always, for more information, go to our website, vickidofitness.com. And remember, if you have any questions, comments, or just something to say, tweet us, email us, go on Facebook, and share with us your thoughts. You've been listening to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. Vicki Doe is owner of Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum, a place to discuss, learn, and participate in healthy living. You can get in touch with Vicki by email at info at vickidofitness.com.